You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. Our future, this is our generation, this is our church. Hallelujah. Okay, so pastor is not here today, so you guys get me surprised. So I'm not a pastor, not an aspiring pastor, but I am just being obedient and I'm sharing just a word with you, something that's meaningful to me and uh, something that I would like to share with you. So I'm going to break down Psalm 23 um, today. Don't turn there just yet because I want to go over a couple of foundational um, principles that we need to understand first before we cover Psalm 23. You know, and Psalm 23 is such a beautiful scripture. It's written as a song by David. But there's so many promises in there. There's 10 promises in Psalm 23. And they're mine. And they're yours. They're for everyone. It's not just me. And I just really want you guys to take hold of that today. Because in this time, this age that we're living in, I'm going to branch off a little bit of what Dr. Garza taught about on last week. We can't be Christians that are sitting safely in our house, nice and cozy with a blanket and just the TV on, this is not the type of Christian that we're called to be. We are called to be Christians that are active out there sharing the word, sharing the faith, um, especially in all the turmoil and all the, the things that are going on during this age. So we need to be accepting and knowing these principles in order to be out there declaring our faith. We need to be able to be active and bold, but you can't be bold if you're not active. You can't be bold if you don't have these principles. So I want to first share two basic principles of the foundations of our faith and our doctrine before we go into Psalms 23. So um, if you go to the first slide, and if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can search uh, for 1 Corinthians 6.19. And this one, I have a couple of red uh, highlighted words because I'm going to break down the Greek word so that you can understand the depth of the meaning of what this scripture is. Whenever you read the Bible, it's very easy just to read, read, read. Oh, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. And it's easy just to keep reading, 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 and not stop to comprehend what it's telling you. When we read, when we, read we need to read intentionally. What is God saying? Every scripture in here is Holy Spirit inspired. So what is he saying? So let's read this one. Do you not know? That your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, to the church in Corinth. Paul wrote this. So why did he write this to them? He wrote this to them because they were Christians, new church, full of faith, but they were living their lives down here, a low quality level of lives. They were living their lives like that, and he's, he uses the word no. If you go to the next slide, RJ, if you look at that word no, the Greek translation for that word no is oida, and it's to comprehend, to perceive something, to know. And it's kind of said in Greek with like exclamation marks at the very end, sorry, exclamation marks at the end. So Paul wrote this letter, and he was telling them, what do you mean? Do you not know? With exclamation, with 
How do you not know? What is wrong with you? How do you not know? It's like a revelation. Sometimes somebody will come up to us and tell us, you know, well, this, this, and this. And you're like, what is that? And they're like, how do you not know that? How do you not know that? How are you not up to date? How did you not know this? And that's whenever you have your revelation, you're like, okay, uh, maybe I should Google something. Maybe I should try to figure this out so I can know what it is. That's when you have this revelation. But if you're living a low-quality life, you don't have these personal revelations, biblical, spiritual. You don't have these revelations. So this is what Paul used, that word oida, to stir them up and tell them, hey, how do you not know what is wrong? How do you not know that? How can you not understand? Okay, well, understand what? So he stirred them up. He's got their attention. And, he, and this is for us, too. This is not just for Corinthians. This is Holy Spirit-inspired word that lives forever. So how do you not know that your bodies? So your bodies, the Greek translation for bodies in this verse is soma. And it's the body living in its wholeness. It's the entire body, not just a piece. It's the entire thing, the whole body. And it's also a word that biologists use to distinguish the whole living body minus its chromosomes, minus the little, you know, science stuff. I am not a science teacher or a science major or anything. So all those little science molecules and DNA stuff. So it's the whole body, the soma. So how do you not know that your whole body, he's kind of exclaiming to them, well, what about the whole body? Our temples, that they're temples. And the word temple in Greek is naos. So naos, I don't know if I have that on there. It means beautiful, like a shrine. It's decorated with rubies that last forever. Uh, it's the innermost place of your being, the innermost place of your being. It's nothing that's out here that's meeting the eye. It's something that's way deeper, something that's way hidden inside. And this is the temple. So how do you not know that you have the soma of the temple, the body, your way innermost being inside of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is living there? You're harboring the Holy Spirit. He's living here within you. I have the Holy Spirit in me. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Your Holy Spirit is here in you, in your temple, in your body. And then it goes on to say, who is in you? Who is in you, um, whom you have received from God? And the word have, this word have comes from the word echo in Greek, which means to have, to hold, to retain, or to possess. And when you possess something, you have something, you hold something, it's not going and coming. It's not going and coming. It's here to stay. It's yours. You possess it. So this Holy Spirit living inside of you in this body, in this temple, is not going and coming as he pleases. He's not here with you one day and then gone the next day and then deciding to leave at night and coming back in the day. Holy Spirit is here in your body. You possess the Holy Spirit in your body. So this takes us into the next point where... God tells us, or the Holy Spirit inspires, tells us that you were not your own. So what does that mean? You were once your own. You accepted Jesus Christ. You became the Holy Temple of the Holy Spirit here. Here's the Holy Spirit. You become one. This is why you were not alone. This is why you are not your own anymore. You are one. You are merged with the Holy Spirit. You are no longer yourselves. You don't belong to yourself anymore because you were merged. And that word in, uh, is, it's got a Greek uh, derivative the word that goes into like a motion it's a motion into a motion that merges into so we become one with the holy spirit 
Um, if you go to the next slide, RJ. So the first principle to understand with 1 Corinthians 6.19 is that we need to understand that you are the Holy, the temple of the Holy Spirit indefinitely, forever. It's not dependent on something that you do. It's not dependent on you know, how you act or how you behave that day. You're indefinitely the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are merged forever with Holy Spirit. Once you grasp that foundation, you can then begin to understand all the other promises that God has given us. You can begin to understand everything else. Um, going into the second principle, if you want to turn to this, John 1.12. And I'm going to read John 1.12 and 1.13, so don't close it out. If you're going to search it in your, your uh, search pane, you can just put John 1 and scroll down to 12. Um, so John 1.12 is talking about the miracle that God has made in us to make us new. And it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So go to the next uh, slide, please. So let's look at these words, these Greek words. But as many. So as many. As many is osoil. As great as. An unlimited number. So this means that God said that he extended the invitation out to everyone. As many. Whoever would hear. As many. The doors flung open. No one was left out. He sent out to everyone the invitation to become his son and daughter. He sent it out to as many. So no one was excluded from this. And it's 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 used on purpose so that you can understand. And you know the, the, the thing about our English language is that we don't have these meanings, these feelings, these connections connected with these words as the Greek uh, alphabet and Greek uh, <coughs> language does. Um, the invitation was unlimited to everyone. God has flung open the door to everyone. Then it says, as received him. So the Greek word for received is lambano. So lambano means, this is a very important one, to seize, to lay hold of something. To make it your very own. To take possession of. And then this is the important part. One who graciously receives something that is easily and freely given. To not reject it. You can give something to someone, but sometimes, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to take it. I don't want to take it. That's not freely receiving it. That's not graciously receiving it. You give something to someone, oh, thank you. You receive it. You're meeting no resistance. You're meeting no rejection. This is important. You have to receive it. You have to take it. He, said, he opened the door. Now your job is to receive it. We have to take it without resistance, without rejection. You have to take it fully and wholly. That is the meaning of lambano. Um, to them gave he power. Now power in this context, this word was used as ex, uh, exousia. And Power has so many different meanings. Exousia has so many different meanings in it. It's, it's where God gives us the power. He gives us the authority. He gives us prosperity. He gives us the wealth. He gives us influence. He gives us all of these things in one word, in that one power word. And it's power, you know, to declare the word. It's authority to be a son and a daughter of Christ. It's influence. You have influence on other people. You can help change by letting them see Christ in you. 
You have influence. You have wealth. You have spiritual wealth. It's not just monetary wealth. You have spiritual wealth. You have peace wealth. You have family wealth. You have love wealth. You have wealth abundantly. And you have prosperity. You're prosperous. You're moving up. Um, to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. So believe on, believe, the Greek word is pistuyo. It's not pronounced the same way that it's spelled, but pistuyo. That means to carry confidence in. And whenever you carry confidence in something, there's nothing that's going to sway you. You know this is this. You know no one thinks about breathing. You wake up in the morning and you don't start panicking and saying, oh my God, am I going to remember how to breathe today? I need to take a breath today. I need to breathe in. I need to breathe out. No, it's, you just have confidence that there's going to be air for you to breathe, oxygen. You just breathe naturally, right? And this is the confidence that he's talking about here. This is to believe on. You have the confidence to think whatever it is the subject is to be true. You're persuaded of it, to give it credit, to have you place your confidence in it, of the one thing that's believed. And the word on it comes from the Greek word ice, which means motion to or into. It's a merger. So this is where you're believing on. This is where we get that concept that I just explained about us becoming one with Christ. We become one with him. So this explains the partnership that we have with Jesus. When we become one, this is where we get the explanations of our healing. Because if you believe on it, with no resistance, no rejection, you believe it with confidence, you are already one with Christ Jesus. This will bring you your health. This will give you your peace. This will give you everything that you're believing for. This will give you your finances. This will be all your answered prayers because you are one with Christ. So this leads us into our second principle. You can go to the next slide. Which is that we need to take and receive the Holy Spirit to become one with Jesus. So if you understand that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and if you understand that you need to receive the Holy Spirit and be one with him, then you can understand and receive all the promises that are in Psalms 23. Oh, does this help anyone? Does this break it down for you? Now, John 13, I don't know if I put this one on there. Yeah, I did. Okay. John 13 is just another one that I just want to go over. John 13 tells us, John tells us that which we were born, uh, not of blood, this is a continuation. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And this is a King James Version. And all this is saying is that, this merging that took place, this receiving that took place of the Holy Spirit, this temple that is now in you, it wasn't because you have the blood of, you know, some priesthood. You're the, the pastor's daughter or the pastor's son. You didn't get that because of that. You weren't born into it. You weren't born into it. You, you didn't get it just because you said, yes, I'm available. You didn't get it like that. You got it because, it says there, but of God, because of God. Because he gave you that extension. Because he gave you the inv invitation. This is why we are able to come into his sonship. Uh, now go to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Uh, the next slide, please. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Now 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it tells us that the God of this world, which is Satan, and this is another teaching in itself. You know, the God of the world, which is Satan, has blinded 
the minds. And blinded, in this context, is a word tefluo, which means that a person who has intentionally and purposely been blinded, like they plucked out their eyes. They plucked out their eyes on purpose so that they were not able to see. So the God of this world, which is Satan, has plucked out the, the eyes, um, blinded the minds of which they believe not, of those who don't believe. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. So it says, the God of this world, which is Satan, has gone intentionally, plucked out the eyes so that we don't see, we don't hear the word, we reject it. There's a lot of people who reject it, a lot of people who are oblivious to the word, the truths of, of the gospel, the truths of what God has given to each and every one of us. And it's done on purpose because the God of this world has intentionally made plans wild to stop you from seeing, to stop that relative of yours from seeing, to stop the child, the son, the daughter, someone, your friend from seeing. But it says that it doesn't matter what the enemy does, that God is light. He is light. And his word brings light. And the more that you bring the word, the more light starts shining and shining and shining. And the more that you're able to see and see and see. That's why whenever you come across people and you try to share the word, sometimes they'll reject it right away. They're like, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. Or I don't see how that works. Like, you guys have it all wrong. You know, you have any of you guys ever met anybody like that or had any conversations with someone where you're trying to share the word and it's just constant a headbutt or a battle, a battle. That's why. Because the God of this earth, which is Satan, has intentionally blinded them. They blinded them. I was that person. How many of you guys, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you guys can raise your hand and say that was you? I know that was me. You know, I lived on the other side of the railroad tracks for a long part of my life. And I know now, looking in hindsight, all the people that God sent in my life who were constantly trying to deliver that word to me. And I rejected it, and I rejected it, and I rejected it. And I can tell you all the times and all the people who came to me, and I rejected it, and I rejected it. But this is what I'm talking about, that experience, is this scripture right here. Because God, he's God of light. He brings light. He opens up your eyes. The God of this earth had blinded me. I was blind. Maybe you might have that relative, that friend, that family member. They're blinded by the God of this earth. How do you get them to see the light? How do you unblind them? If I, if I could say that. How do you do that? Well, you have to keep delivering the word. You can't just say, oh, I'm just going to sit next to them in lunch. You know, my presence by osmosis, I'm just going to like soak into them or they're going to absorb, you know, the Holy Spirit from me. You can't do that. You have to go to them and you have to share the word. And then you have to share the word. And you have to share the word. And you have to share the word. It's like whenever you water a plant, you put a little bit of water, it's going to grow a little bit. Put a little bit more water, it's going to grow. More water, water, and then eventually you have this full-blown blooming plant. And this is how you get people to see and open up their eyes. Um, which is the verse 5. It says that we preach not to ourselves. You know, we know this. But we don't spend all day long, you know, teaching each other like, hey, let me share the word of Christ with you, uh, Freddie and Glenda. Let me share the word of Christ with you guys. Have you guys ever met Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus? No, it's not telling us to do that. It's telling us to do that outside of church to the non-believers. We don't hold that word to us. This is what verse 5 tells us to do. Um, now, second, let's see. 
I think we're ready now for Psalm 23. So we can turn now to Psalms uh, 23, 1 through 6. And I'm going to use the New King James Version. So there are 10 different uh, promises in here. So once that we know that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, and we have merged with him as one, and we know that with confidence, like we know that with the way that we breathe, then how hard is it going to believe? How hard is it going to be to receive all this? Not hard at all. And you know, this is my favorite. This is, Psalm twenty-three is one of my favorite scriptures, especially whenever you go through dark times. And you know, none of us are exempt from this. Just because you are a Christian, just because you accepted Jesus, doesn't mean you're not going to be attacked. It doesn't mean that you're going to be caught up in snares. It doesn't mean any of that. We are here in the world, so you are going to be hurt somewhere down the line. You are going to be facing some type of trauma, some type of turmoil, some type of problem. But when you know in your inner spirit, you know here that you have been merged with the Holy Spirit, then there's nothing to worry about. There is nothing to worry about. Um, Psalm 23. So I'm just going to read it first. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's just so many beautiful things in there forever. So let's break this down. Let's go to the next slide. There are first a couple of things I want to share with you about the promises. Let's go to the next slide. There are a couple of things I want to share with you about the promises, but first we need to understand what a shepherd is and what sheep are and what they do. Because the verse starts with, the Lord is my shepherd. Are any of you guys sheep herders here today? <laughs> I mean, no one's a sheep herder here. Maybe some of you guys might raise lambs. I don't know. I mean, that's the closest. I mean, but there's no sheep herders, sheep breeders, anything here. So this is kind of you know, a little foreign to most of us. So I feel like we need a home back in to see, okay, first, what is a, she uh, a shepherd? So a shepherd is a leader. He's a caretaker of the sheep. He tends the sheep. He feeds them. He makes sure that all of their needs are met. Um, the shepherd also protects them from wolves. Um, he leads them, guides them where he wants them to go. A shepherd has a deep concern. He's always, he's, he's infatuated with them. And a deep care, not only for all of his sheep collectively, but for each and every single one sheep. I mean, ask little Bo Peep. You know, little Bo Peep, you know, she loved all of her little sheep. Now, let's go to sheep. Let's go to the next slide. So what do we know about sheep? So now we know everything that a shepherd does. What do we know about sheep? One, they're slow to learn. They're very slow to learn. If any of you guys have ever raised any of these, you know that sheep will get stuck in barbed wire, and the shepherder will go and untangle, you know, cut the wire, cut the fleece, cut everything, and then very next moment, 
boom, there goes the sheep again. Didn't learn the lesson right away, back into the barbed wire. Okay? They are very slow to learn. Sometimes that's us. Sometimes we're very slow to learn. Sometimes us sheep, we don't get it the first time. And we make that same mistake again and again and again and again. And sometimes it takes us a long time, but eventually we get there. Just like the sheep, eventually they learn. Next one. Sheep can be stinky and unattractive. They can be. They're stinky and unattractive. They're outside animals. Their fleece grows. Um, I've read somewhere that the fleece, it gets so thick that uh, flies and all of these bugs fly around them and they land in there and they lay eggs and parasites end up growing. Parasites is in worms. So I've read somewhere that um, they can get so uh, disturbed by these worms and when they don't have hands to start scratching or anything that uh, they start going and ramming their head into like walls and ramming their head into uh, mountains or rock or something just so they can get that little urge to scratch off, you know, those little parasites that are inside. So that's how stinky and unattractive we might have some bad habits, some unattractive things like our behaviors, you know, that can make us very unattractive. Um, the third one, sheep are demanding. As soon as sheep are born, they're ready to eat. I mean, they don't even try to stand up. They don't even try to do the first thing. It's just an innate thing. The first thing they do is they just want to start looking so that they, they can start eating and start sucking. That's all they do is eat, eat, eat. And as they grow up, they're like teenage boys. They eat more and they eat more and they eat more. And they never stop eating. They just eat, eat, eat. They want more grass. They're eating, eating, eating. Sometimes they don't even go to sleep at night because they still want to eat. They're just so demanding. And if the shepherd doesn't have them in a field that's green and red, luscious, ready to go for them to eat, sometimes it's common for them to go and attack the shepherd, you know, start ramming into him, start bleeding, start nagging all of the bleeds, the noise that he makes, uh, that they all make because they're demanding that they want food. They're very demanding. How many of you guys are demanding for something in your life? Not your husband, not your wife. Who is demanding? Um, sheep are stubborn. How many of you guys can be stubborn? No, I don't want it that way. I want it this way. I want it like this, and it's going to happen this way. How many of you are stubborn? Sheep are stubborn. They don't listen. You're trying to keep them together in the pack, and that they keep veering off. You try to keep them together in the flock, and that one keeps going off. You try to keep it together. They are very um, ADD, I guess you could say, also. <laughs> They're stubborn. Five, they're strong. How many of you guys would consider yourself strong? They're strong. Don't let the skinny little legs and skinny little hooves fool you. I mean, these sheep, they're strong. They're strong animals. Let them come charge at you, and you'll find out their strength. Sheep are strong. They're strong-willed. They want to go that way, they're going to go that way. They want to get stuck in the river, they're going to get stuck in the river. They want to go through the barbed wire, they're going to go through the barbed wire. God tells you don't do that, and what do you do? You do that. God tells you don't open your eyes, and what do you do? You open your eyes. God tells you don't go over there, and what do you do? You go over there. Okay? So, I mean, we, we're all pretty much the same. Um, six, sheep tend to go astray and get lost. You know, I mean, this, I mean, is common. We know this. We can ask little Bo Peep when she lost all of her sheep. 
You know, they go astray. You know, as Jesus, he said it himself. Whenever he left all of the 99 to go after the one, they have a tendency to go astray. That's us too. All of us, we have a tendency to go astray. Like the prodigal son. You know, sometimes we want to go and try it out on our own. No, no, no. You're mad. You're in your emotions, your feelings. And you just choose to just, I don't know, maybe you just want to do it on purpose. Maybe you're just falling into some type of depression. And you just choose to go astray. You go astray. You leave the word. You leave the church. But you always can come back. And that's what a shepherd does. He's always looking for you, always waiting for you to come back. Um, sheep are unpredictable. You can never guess if they're going to continue going straight or if all of a sudden one of them, the leader in the front, is going to turn around and start walking back that way. And that's more work for you to try to get them all back together. They are not predictable. You can never guess what the next move is. Sometimes you are unpredictable yourself. You don't even know what you're going to say. Sometimes you don't even know what you're going to do. And then sometimes at the end of the day, you might, be, you might even be questioning yourself and say, like, I can't believe I said that. Why did I say that? Why did I even do that? How did I lose control? You, you don't even predict your own moves. You don't even predict your own uh, words that you're saying. Um, eight, sheep tend to follow the crowd. There's a lot of, there's a lot of followers, but not enough leaders today. You know, in, in this world, there's a lot of followers. You know, branching off of what Dr. Garza said last, last week, you know, followers in the movement of being offended. I mean, everybody's offended. Everybody's going down that path. Oh, let's be offended too. Let's get offended too. Let's get offended. So it's just offense, 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 offense. But we need a leader who's going to lead by example and stop this baby crying. <laughs> Next one. Nine, sheep are restless. It's hard to get them to sit still and rest because they're so fearful. They're fearful of everything, mainly fearful that there's not enough food. They just want to be eating, eating, eating all the time. Sheep will not go to sleep unless they're super full and super safe. Um, sometimes that's us. Sometimes we might have so much fear, so full of fear, so full of anxiety, that we can't sit still. We can't go to sleep. We can't sleep at night. Our mind keeps going. It keeps Running, 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 you can't shut it off. You know, because we're like that sheep. We're so full of fear. We're so hungry. Whatever that little factor is, that little metaphor is, that you cannot shut it off because you're so full of it. Um, and then the last one. <coughs> sheep are dependent on a shepherd. This one's very important. The sheep without a shepherd, I mean, they're goners. They're useless. I mean, they can't fend for themselves. There's no way. They'd be dead on, they'd be dead on day one of their life. You know, they, they'll make all the wrong choices. They'll all fall off the cliff. They'll all drown. They wouldn't probably figure out how to kick their feet. The, the fleas would weigh them down, take them down. They get eaten by a wolf thinking it's their friend. I mean, the they sheep are dependent on a shepherd. It needs the shepherd to bring them back in. It needs the shepherd to teach them. We can go back um, two slides. I think two slides. So now that we understand the roles and duties of a shepherd and what sheep are like and how we can identify a sheep, it's easier to understand and comprehend and grasp all the promises here in Psalm 23. Because God was an English teacher. I always say Jesus was an English teacher because he always speaks in parables and metaphors. He uses all of these different devices and we have to like creatively figure it out. Promise one. First promise is that 
God will provide my every need. So if you understand all of those principles that we talked about a while ago, then you know that God is always going to provide everything that you need. You're never going to go hungry. You're never going to go thirsty. You're never going to go homeless. You're never going to be, you know, without clothing, without a jacket in the cold. God is going to pro always provide your basic needs, your every single need. God is always going to provide it. Just like the air that you breathe, you know it's going to be there. Second promise, God will provide protection. Same way, just the air that you, that you breathe and you don't even think about it, you know God's always going to protect you. You can be fine with your kids driving to work. My son is a new adult, a brand new adult on his own. Um, I had a lot of anxiety and fear, you know, that he graduated high school. And, and it was still iffy whenever he was graduating high school. And I talked to him so many times. I told him, you better graduate, son, because of the way he had senioritis, like really bad case of senioritis. And at that point, you know, I was getting afraid of him, of, of him you know, not being successful. But then he went straight into the workforce and he was driving two and a half hours at four in the morning. I mean, from being a high school student who wouldn't set his own alarm and wake up and go to school on his own, to waking up at four in the morning and driving two and a half hours to a place he's never been outside of Heavenville, outside of Bruni, you know, that causes a lot of worry. And thoughts as a parent go through your mind. Like, are, there, are the other drivers on the road gonna be alert? You know, is it gonna be foggy? Are there gonna be animals on the road? Is he gonna get there safe? Are his tires gonna have a blow? You know, all these things, it's natural. We're doing that. But I sat on that promise. God's always gonna provide protection. He's got that covenant protection. My son has that protection. My husband has a protection whenever he leaves to work every day. So I'm fine. I know that he'll be okay. Third promise. God will give me peace. God will always give me peace. That is something that you need to take in. Don't let anything ever take your peace. There is nothing that is more important than God. There is nothing and no one that's more important to like get you upset and take your peace away from you. Your joy and your peace. No one can take your peace from you. Um, four, God will restore me. We're human. We break. We break down. But guess what? He's in the business of restoration. He'll bring you back. And he'll make you even more beautiful than what you were before. Uh, five, God will guide me and lead me. This is another promise. He guides me. He'll lead me. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do next. God, you're calling me to do this, but I have no idea what I'm doing. I've been there. Just be obedient and know that God is here with you. You're merged as one with the Holy Spirit. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will give you everything that you need to do what he is calling you to do. Six, I have confidence in God. This is what we talked about. I can trust him. I can trust him. You don't have to raise your hand, but ask yourself, do you truly have confidence in God? Do you trust him? Do you know him? And do you know him? No. Do you know of him or do you know him? Do you have that relationship with him? And I hope that most of us are with the latter, that we know him. We're in that relationship with him. Um, seven, God will teach me by correcting me. You know, this is not Old Testament, you know, correction. You know, if you don't, if you don't listen, if you break my rules, you know, burn your house down. I'm going to bring you sickness. I'm going to break you. That is not God. That is not God. He teaches, he corrects us by teaching us. He will come lovingly like a parent and he'll sit you down and he'll talk to you and he'll wait for you to make that decision to say, okay, you know, I, I'm going to make that decision. I'm going to be better. Um, next one. 
God will have favor on me and prosper me. This is a promise that's here in Psalm 23. He's going to have favor on you. This is where, you know, there's enemies after you, and he still brings you favor. Just, no matter what you're facing, you still have favor. Even though you're the one against the many, you still have that favor. Nine, God blesses me. How many of you guys can raise your hand and say that you have been blessed? Yeah. I'm blessed. I am blessed, and I live in his blessings and his favor. And then the last promise, God promised me until forever. Until forever, all of these things are true. Until forever, he's going to be here with me. Until forever, we are one, merged together. Until forever, all eternity, it never stops, it never ends. So why are you going to worry? Why are you going to fret? There is no reason, no reason for any of that. So let's go on to the next slide. I think it's like three slides. Let's go to the first verse. So now that we read it, I want to go over each and every promise. So the first promise that we see in Psalm 23 is that God will provide my every need in the first verse. And the first verse is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This means he will provide every single thing that we need. If you want to turn to Matthew 6.25, we get our reassurance and our confirmation there. When he's going to give his sermon on the mount. When Jesus tells everyone and he speaks and he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry what you will eat. Don't worry about what you will drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Life is more than food. Life is more and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds in the air. And he says, look at the birds. Do you see them full of anxiety, depression, you know, fearing? They're not. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So they're not preparing for the future. They're not making a stockpile. Maybe we, so with that, we can feed all the little birdies tomorrow. They're not doing that. They're living their life. They're tweeting. They've got that peace. They're, they're happy. And he says, look at the birds. I provide for them every single day. How much more will I do for you? And how much more? God loves you so much more. How much more will he do for you? You're not going to have to worry about putting things up for tomorrow. Uh, let's see. And then at the very end, if we go to the very end, verse 33 of Matthew 6, 25, uh, 6, it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So we have to seek God. We have to look for him. We have to look for him. We have to look for his righteousness. We have to have that pact with him. We have to have that covenant and understand and have that merger. Next one. Promise two. God will protect me. This is in the second verse. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still water. So in the message version, um, Psalm 121, 5 through 6, it tells us that God's your guardian. Right at your side to protect you. Shielding you from sunstroke. Sheltering you from moonstroke. How many of you guys know what moonstroke is? When you guys talk and say, oh, hey, um, were you safe last night? Did you get moonstruck? Nobody talks like that anymore. But moonstroke was an actual thing like in the second century that, you know, was common. But moonstruck uh, was something that people believed was um, led by demons, you know, in the darkness at night. I know my father-in-law, I'm not even going to try to say it, but my father-in-law would always tell us something in Spanish, and I know my Spanish is not so great, so I'll probably butcher it. But in English, it would translate that, 
you know, the darkness has no, or the light has no um, business associating in, in the dark. The light has no business, you know, intermingling and doing things like that. So it's like being out at night. We have no business being out, you know, dancing in the moonlight three or four in the morning with all the demons. And this was the thing that Moonstruck is talking about. So this is a second century kind of like term. So don't get thrown off with that. So he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. God's your guardian, right at your side to protect you, shielding you from sunstroke, sheltering you from moonstroke. So just as reference above, fear keeps sheep from resting. Moonstruck, they would say that these demons would get inside these sheep because at night that all these demons were wandering around out there in those pastures and these sheep wouldn't go to sleep because of course they were super hungry, still in trying to eat. And then all of a sudden, maybe they were just eating grass that just had bacteria, some type of, of agent that would just make them crazy, and they would try to associate it with, you know, like demons possessing these these uh, lamb, these sheep. But they say, but that God will protect them. It says they will not sleep if they feel threatened. We talked about this that if they feel fear, they won't go to sleep, or they're tormented by flies or parasites. So just as I said about the sheep, you know, banging its head because it's being tormented by those parasites that are deep down underneath all of that wool. Now that word tormented, I underline that word tormented because tormented isn't just such a term or something, an idea that attacks these sheep that we're referencing in Psalms. Torment is something that attacks us. Torment comes in a lot of different forms. You know, you can be tormented and not able to sleep at night because, you know, you feel like you don't have enough money to pay your bills. So you're tormented by that anxiety. You can be tormented because you have a health issue. You know, you're, you're going through so many different things and you're tormented by this health issue or a relationship. You know, there's just so many things that qualify under torment whenever we are facing, you know, all these giants. But it says that God is right here shielding us from all of that torment. So that's just a confirmation of our promise, our second promise, that God will protect us. We don't see all the things that he protects us from. We don't see all the, the hand movements where he stops or he uses his angels to stop you from going down paths. Or he uses his angels, you know, with their fiery swords to battle away all those things that were meant to hurt you, all of those things that were meant to take you down. Um, let's go to the next one. The third promise is in verse 2 also, that God will give me peace. And this is where it says that he will make me lie beside still waters. Still waters. When you think about still waters, you think peace because it's just a calm water, calm lake. There's no movement. It's just calm and peaceful. Now, if you have a hurricane and you're beside some waters and the waters are roaring, splashing, tumbling, whirling, they're doing all of this, is that peace? That is not peace. That's not peace. But he makes you lay down by the still waters. Not by those roaring waters, by the still waters. So that's where we get our peace. God will always give you peace. You can be in the deepest, darkest battle of your life, but still have that peace. Whenever you accept and you know those principles that we shared at the beginning of this message. When you know that you are one with Christ, when you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, when you have received it, when you have received him without rejection, then you will know that you can always have that peace. It doesn't matter what you're facing. You will always have that peace. And the Greek word for peace here is Irene. It describes a calm, inner stability that results in the ability to conduct oneself peacefully. 
even in the midst of circumstances that would normally be traumatic or upsetting. And if you were close to me, if you're one of those that are the closest to me, you know, I'm, I'm still going through medical issues, you know, but my God is great, and that's why I take hold of Psalm 23, because they're my promises. They're mine. They're, they're just as much as yours, but they're mine. But, I mean, I had a, another doctor's appointment this last week, and it's not good news on the doctor's end. It's not good news that I wanted to hear. But then, whenever they start looking at all my results, my charts, and everything, and my peace that I have, that I'm sitting there, some of these doctors tell me, I've heard this a couple of weeks ago, one of my appointments, they told me, you're a phenomenon. And I said, no, it, it actually, it's not me. Because they're sitting there looking at me and telling me, like, I don't, I don't understand how you're okay. And I'm, I'm telling them, like, well, it's because it's not me. It's God in me. I merged with the Holy Spirit. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. And I've taken hold of the promises, and I've taken hold of that principle. And, you know, and, and I didn't get good news a couple of days ago at my last appointment. And I'm flesh. You know, I, I let it come out. I let it come out a lot. You can ask my husband. You can ask those that are closest to me. But I still have that peace. I have that peace over my life. I'm, I have that peace where I'm able to go to work every day. I'm still able to fill into all the lives of all the people that are around me every day because I have that peace. I'm able to come up here with my with my beautiful band members. You know, they're just so awesome and giving with everything that they give. And we have that peace. I'm able to stand up here and still share the good word of the good shepherd because I have that peace because I've grasped those principles. So this, just grasp those principles, and you will understand, and you will have each and every one of these promises. Because it's not just mine. It's yours, too. John 14, uh, 1 through 27, New King James Version says, Let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God? Well, then believe also in me. This is after Christ was going headed to crucifixion. He already gone through all the beatings. He went through all the verbal abuse, the physical abuse. He went through all the type of hurt and pain that he could go through. And he's already up on the cross. And that's whenever he looks to the other sinners next to him, the other people. And he tells them, do you believe in God? And he tells them, okay, well, then believe in me too. And this is where he gives the promise of peace. How can Jesus, who has just been through every single thing that was meant to hurt him, to kill him, to take him down, how can he be up there still? able to talk about peace even though he's been through all of this the crucifixion and he says believe in me also because I leave with you my peace I give you not as the world gives do I give I give you my peace so don't look at the world circumstances what he's saying don't look at the condition that I have right here on the cross don't look at my hands don't look at my feet tied don't look at my broken arms don't look at my bones don't look at that don't look at the world look at inner, the inner peace, the inner man, that murder that you have. Look at that. And that's where you get your peace. That's where I get my peace. Because if I would put my confidence in what these doctors are telling me, guys, I'd be not here right now. I would not be. I'd be mentally just somewhere else, mentally. Spiritually dead. Next one. Promise four. This is in verse three. God will restore me. How many of you guys have been restored before at least once in your life? I have been restored. So many times I have been restored. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. As our good shepherd, our good shepherd, look at that word good shepherd, not just a shepherd, our good shepherd. It's describing the type of shepherd we have. 
The Lord also promises to restore, restore our soul. His restoration is a full-scale rescue operation that results in total redemption and wholeness in him. He is a good shepherd that just doesn't fix one part of us. He fixes all of us. I was broken a long time ago whenever I lived on the other side of the road tracks. I suffered with depression. I suffered with anxiety. You know, I got a bad hand of cards, as everybody else did. Everybody's going to suffer sometime in their life, but you make the, the most out of it. You know, and I was deep into my depression. You know, I was deep into an anxiety. And medicine, you know, and I believe in medication. I believe in, in, you know, God using doctors and medical professions, you know, to help you with lack and things like that you need, that you need to compensate your body. But in my case, you know, I tried so many different methods, so many different medicines, you know, and I just got tired of being a zombie. You know, and whenever I started listening and stopped rejecting all those people that kept started coming to me, I started listening. I started reading my Bible and I was restored. You know, and I remember, you know, I was 20, like 23, you know, reading in my backyard by the swimming pool almost every single day. I would come home from college and then go by the swimming pool and just for hours, just reading, reading, reading. And I just had that hunger and I had that hunger. And then I would start slowly getting restored, restored, restored. You know, I was no longer depressed. I would no longer have my anxiety fits, you know. And my anxiety would be get, would get so bad to a point where I felt like I couldn't breathe. I was suffocating. Um, and I was restored. I didn't need medication for that, and I still don't. I mean, I'm not on the medication for that still to this day. I mean, and I'm 23 plus a lot of years. I'm not going to tell you guys my age. <laughs> plus a lot, a lot of years. <laughs> and... It was my good shepherd who restored me, you know, and he didn't just fix me and take that away. I feel like I'm a lot better person than I was before all of that. He fixed that broken, per that broken person, and he made me a new person, a completely different person. Sometimes I think back, and it's like, who is that? Oh, yeah, that was me. Oh, who did that? Oh, what? Oh, yeah, that was me. Yeah, so if he can do that for me, guys, he's no respecter of persons. He's going to do that for you. He's no respecter of persons. Let's go to the next. Uh, promise 5. How are we on time? Oh, we're good. Okay, promise 5. Verse 3. God will guide me and lead me. He restores my soul. He leads me down the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So if you just go down the book of Psalms, every single, almost every single song that was written there by David has this confirmation of this promise in it. That God will guide you and God will lead you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Instruct you and teach you. He's guiding you and leading you. I will guide you with my eyes, Psalm 32, 8. Next one, Psalm 37. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to glorious destiny, Psalm 73, 24. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths, Proverbs 3, 6. Go to the next slide, please. Um, oh, I thought I was going to put more. I have there, there, I had a long list, and those were just all the ones that I just chose. But if you just turn to your, your book of Psalms and just go down each and every one, it's all about how God is constant in protecting you, how God is constant in coming after you, how God is constant in loving you, how God is constant in restoring you, how God is always constant, constant, constant uh, to lead you and to guide you. Um, let the Holy Spirit be your eyes 
Trust him. He is the spirit of truth and is able to see what you cannot see. The Holy Spirit will never lead you astray. This is something that I had written down right here in my notes, that you just need to let the Holy Spirit be your eyes. Don't see things the way you see things. Don't see yourself the way you sometimes see yourself in that mirror. Don't see yourself the way you reiterate to yourself that you're so stupid, that was so dumb, how could you do that? Don't see yourself like that. See yourself through the eyes of the Holy Spirit and just trust him. He is a spirit of truth. And he is able to see what you can't see. He's able to see that truth. He's able to see what that that what he started to create in you. He can see that end result already. So just trust him and see what he sees because he's never going to lead you astray. Um, promise six. This is in the fourth verse. I have confidence in God. I can trust him. This is a promise that he gives us. You can trust me. You can have confidence in me. You can have that firm foundation, just how we sang on that last song, a firm foundation. You can trust in him and have that confidence in him. It says, yes, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yes, even though I'm going through all of this, I will not fear. I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm going through this health scare. I mean, for two years already I've been on it. And I... There's times where I have had fear, and I just need to come back to this scripture. And I can sit there, you know, in the hospital room, and I can say this to myself. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, but I have no fear because I know that you are with me, God. You are right here in my innermost being. We merge. We are one. I do not fear. I do not fear because I know that you are here with me. And when you accept that, you have confidence, and you believe it. Remember what I said, with no rejection, with no rejection at all. Then that comes true. It comes past. It's so easy. It's like breathing. It's like breathing. Um, so I want to ask you to ask yourself right now. You don't have to answer it, but what does your confidence sit on? Is it sitting on your job, on your pay? Is it sitting in your, your paychecks? Is it sitting on you, you getting called out for work? Is your confidence, you know, like on your husband or on your wife? What are you depending on? Where is your confidence? Where do you know that you are going to get your sustenance from? How do you know that you're going to be okay? Where is that confidence and that trust at? What is? What do you trust in? Where is your confidence? What is it in? Ask yourself those questions. And today, whenever you go home, you know, try to evaluate all of your thoughts. Try to evaluate all of your actions and your thoughts and say, where is my trust? And I hope that your trust is right there in the Lord because he has already merged with you. Now step into it. Next one. <clears throat> Promise 7, and this is in 4, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The purpose of his rod and his staff is to comfort you because it will teach you by correcting you. It's going to teach you by correcting you. He's not going to single you out. He's not going to make you bad, look bad. He's not going to step on you and spit on you and stomp all over you. He's not. He's going to correct you by teaching you. The rod and the staff is a symbolism, is symbolic, you know, with the shepherd and the sheep. Because one end, it's got the hook and the other end. It's got, uh, it's got the other tool built in together in one, in one staff, in one tool, I guess you could say. So the rod and the staff in the hand of our shepherd is for our protection and our correction. When we get out of line, he's going to reach that staff out and pull you back in. You know, with that little hook, he's going to pull you back in. When we get out of line, he uses his staff to prod us back into the right place. And when enemy forces come against us, he's going to bat them out like a baseball bat at the other end. Okay? He's going to protect you. He's going to use the rod 
uh, to beat them away. God protects us and he teaches us together at once. He uses us together with that rod and that staff. And it's just like I said, he's not going to do it in a way where he's going to step on you, spit on you, beat you up, make you feel bad about yourself, bring you guilt, bring you shame. He is not in the business of bringing you guilt and shame. God is going to do it lovingly. He's going to do it and speak to you. He's going to keep poking at you, keep pushing at you from the inside until you say, okay, God, okay, God, I got it, I got it, I got it. Because we can be stubborn like those sheep. We go get stuck in that barbed wire. Then he comes back and teaches us, don't do that. Stop going that way. And he'll take us out and we go right back. And never does he beat the the, the lamb. He doesn't beat it up, hit it, and says, stop going in the barbar. I already told you, stop going. He doesn't do that. He's not going to do that to us. He's going to go and take us out, and then we're going to go get stuck again. He's going to take us out until we finally learn and see that revelation. Uh, next one. Eight. God will have favor on me and prosper me. This is found in verse 5 of Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. Enemies could be, you know, metaphorical metaphorical about just, you know, a weapon that the enemy has tried to devise to attack you. Or it could be about literal enemies who are just trying to persecute you. You know, you have Jesus on you. You're wearing, the, you're clothed in Jesus. You're going to be targeted. You're going to be persecuted. You know, you're going to be hated. It tells us in Matthew 24 about persecuting um, because you believe in him for his name's sake. You're, gonna have, you're going to have enemies. But whatever form these enemies are in, enemies of people, enemies of health, enemies of finances, enemies of relationships, whatever this enemy is, he still puts a table, sets a table, and says, come and sit with me. I'm right here with you. He still gives you that favor. He still prepares that, that table before you, and he lifts you up at the king's table, at the table of elevation up here. It, you can be under attack and attack. You can be the one against the many, and he still gives you that favor. He still sits at table, and he sits with you there. You look at all of these different psalms. Remember, I told you the book of Psalms is just full of all of these promises. And, I mean, these pages can go on and on and on. Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. And this is David writing. Remember, David was, I'm a lot like David. David was like me. He was on the other end of the tracks. You know, he did, made a lot of bad choices. I made a lot of bad choices. You know, but still God kept restoring him. God has restored me. God has restored you. You've made bad choices. He's taken you back. You've gone astray. David's gone astray. He's come back. <coughs> And he still writes that, God, you still prepare a table for me. Let's me, God, you still look for me. God, you still wait for me. God, you still have a seat right here with me. Um, Psalm 5, 8. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. Psalm 6, 7 through 10. Uh, my eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of my enemies. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Psalm 7, 6. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the, to the judgment you have commanded. Psalm seven fifteen. He made a pit and dug it out, and all has fallen into the ditch which he made. Psalm 18. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. 
He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me. And for they were too strong for me. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Yeah, thou liftest me up above those that rise against thee. So this is where he's saying that even though I was too, too weak, they were too strong. There were too many. There were so many, I had no chance. You were still there with me. You still delivered me from it. Can you go to the next slide? Do I have another slide, or do you have to that one? And there's this more there. You can take pictures of those. Go read on your own through the book of Psalms. But this last one, I put it in bold. That one's my favorite one also. It's Psalm 42. He also brought me out, out of a horrible pit. Out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my steps. This is talking about the new creation that God has created in you. It's a miracle. It's a miracle what he did for me. He took me out of that pit that I was in, and he carried me and put my feet right here, and I'm standing here, and there's no way that I'm going back into that pit again because now I have a strong and sturdy foundation, and that's for every single one of us. So regardless of how distressed or desperate our situation may be, we have God's guarantee of supernatural prosperity. We have his guarantee that he's going to protect us. We have his guarantee that he's always going to lift us up, always, even in the face of, of our enemies. And somehow, in some way, he will move heaven and earth to make sure that we have what we need when we need it. God's in the business of doing miracles. We don't know exactly how he's going to make it or how he's going to do it, but he does it. And sometimes it's so unexplainable, you know, the way that he does it, it's like you stay shocked and in awe and wonder. And it's like those are the great wonders of God. Those are, the, those are the great attributes of him. Let's go to the next. We only have two more. Promises 9, it's in verse 5 that God blesses me. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. So oil, they would... Bless if you have ever had hands laid on you. You put oil on your hands, and it's not witchcraft. It's not the oil that heals. It's the belief. It's taking that, that grasping those principles. They put the oil in your hands, and they just doused you, and they lay hands on you, on your head, on your shoulders, and you're just doused with this oil. This oil is Holy Spirit until your, run, your cup runs over. This anointing is his promise to personally lay hands on your life and empower you to do extraordinary things. The imagery of your cup running over demonstrates God's love for you, which showers you with love and blessings. It's a cup running over. It's like if you put water inside of a cup and it keeps spilling out and you're still pouring and it keeps coming out, keeps coming out, keeps coming out. That's God's love for you. That's the image that he wants us to have, that he's constantly pouring that water and it's just overflowing, overflowing. All of these extra blessings are just there for the taking. Um... But in order to have this, this is another concept that we need to understand. In order to be blessed abundantly, you have to first be established before you are anointed. And we see this confirmation in David's life uh, when it's revealed that God gives him his anointing in stages. It's the same thing with us. He's never going to give you everything all at once. You know, back then, whenever I first started, you know, reading and taking hold of the word of that one person would have told me, oh, well, you're going to be singing and then talking and maybe even teaching to people in front of the camera where everybody can watch you live. <clears throat> I probably would have said, no, thank you, and rejected it again once more. God's not going to give you everything all together at once. He's not. He's going to give it to you in stages. And if you're faithful with a little, he's going to give you more. 
and he's going to give you more and more. He's going to elevate your status and keep giving you more blessings and elevate you higher and higher and higher. And this is in Corinthians 121. It confirms and it says, Now which he established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Notice that being established comes before being anointed. You have to be established first and then Christ will anoint you. Establish first and Christ anoint you. Grasp the principles first and then you can flow into the promises. Understand and have confidence and trust in God and then it's yours. Have that establishment first. Okay? God is not concerned with time. He's not concerned, okay, well, we got to do it fast, we got to do it fast. Let's, let's start getting saved, let's get saved fast, let's grow in my spirit, let's grow my faith. He's not concerned with time, but he is focused on character. If you're going to grasp these principles, work on yourself. He is concerned with your character. He doesn't want Christians going out there and then trying to save the world, trying to share the, with the world the love of Jesus, and then person turns back around and then just... Negative, just spews, 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 spews. Ugly, spews, spews, spews. Characteristics, our character, guys. Our character, our personality. If you accept Christ, something happens. There's no way you can stay the same. There is no way you can be the same creation. If you accept Christ, you're different. Something has to change. I was once this, but now I'm this. And something happened in between. Well, what was it? It was the God factor. It's that God factor. So work on your character. Work on your integrity, doing the right thing even though nobody's looking. Work on uh, your faithfulness. Be faithful and true to your word. Work on your pure, your pureness of your heart, the love. Love. You have to have love on the forefront. Work on all of this, and that gives you that establishment, that, that aid, the, ability, the ability to comprehend and take it in. <laughs> he must first establish a rock-solid foundation in you that will enable you to sustain the full work he wants to do in and through your life. God wants to do stuff through you. He wants to save people through you. He wants you to build things. He wants you to make things. He wants you to go places. He wants you to share the word. He wants you to do all of that. And he's in the business of restoring, refining, making you a new creation first. Let's go to the next and the last. So promise 10. This is in our last verse of Psalm 23. God promises me until forever. Not until tomorrow. Not until I decide to drop the ball and make a mistake. It's forever. It is forever. God promises me until forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. All of them. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. All the days. Take hold of that. Grasp it. I have no fear. I have no fear about what's going to happen whenever I go next week to the doctor. I have no fear because I know that I have the Lord forever. Not until tomorrow. Not until yesterday. I have the Lord forever. I will dwell with him. He will dwell with me. God's supernatural promise to you is that his goodness, his mercy is always going to be after you. Always going to be following you. All the days of your life, through your depression, through anxiety, through the high times, through the low times, he's always going to be giving you the grace, the mercy, the love. He's always going to do it every single day. Even when times of doubt arise, even when you're depleted and tired and dried out in your faith, God always remains faithful to his promise. He is constant. 
He cannot lie. He is always going to be there. Do we have another? Uh... So now that we broke down uh, Psalm 23, I want to go back to these principles. So the first principle, remember, was to first understand that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit forever, indefinitely. You are the Holy Spirit temple right here. Your body is. And the second principle, in order to be the temple, you have to receive it. And that's without rejecting it. That's without hesitation. Just like you breathe. You're not panicking. Oh my God, am I going to breathe today? Is there going to be air? Can I breathe? Is earth out of his axis? Do we have oxygen on earth today? You're not thinking that when you wake up in the morning. So why should you be thinking about all of these promises that God has given you? It should just come natural. Then you can receive the 10 promises that God gives us in Psalm 23. Okay. So um, we're going to close here already. We get to get out early today. And then next week, Pastor will be here. But I hope that somewhere between last week and this week, you know, some of you guys were able to grow uh, in some of your foundations, grow in some of your, your principles, and become closer and have a deeper understanding of how you can be stronger, be bolder, uh, in your faith and share the word, share the gospel. Um, so there should be some envelopes on the seats. If you would like to give your offering, get your tithe and offering ready. We'll be doing that at this moment. Um, if you would like to give electronically, um, you know the steps. We're going to display them up on the screen. All you have to do is text the word Faithway to the number provided, 77977. And then you just click to follow the links, and then you can elect to do it one-time giving or a monthly recurring, recurring. So as we're getting that ready, I just want you guys to, you know, take pictures, look back on these pictures, highlight those scriptures, and go back and open up and read throughout the week. You know, don't let Sunday be your only day that you guys become close to the Lord. Don't let Sunday be the only day that you get your feeding. You know, go back to those scriptures because you might get something revealed to you. You might have a revelation and understand something later on whenever you read it again. As, as something different from whenever you read it the very first time. So I just really encourage you to continue reading throughout your week. Don't let this be your only day that you connect with the Lord. He's waiting to hear from Let's go ahead and pray. You can go ahead and stand. Let's go ahead and go to our feet so we can pray over the offering and pray to close the service. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord, Father God, for getting us here today so that we can worship you and become closer to you, Father God. Right now, we lift up our pastor and we ask that you bless the road that he is traveling on. You bring him back home safely, Father. And be abundant with the blessings and prosperity that you bring to him and to his family, Father God. We thank you for giving us a good shepherd here in our church. And we thank you, Father, for being our ultimate and our good shepherd. And today, Lord, after our teaching, we want our heart and our mouth to say the right things. We want to understand the right things. We want to know the right things. We want to have a confidence and a firm foundation in you, Father. So my prayer is that we all father make that little journey between our mind and our heart that little journey and connect and not only know but understand all the promises that you have given us know and understand that we have received you and we have merged as one 
we are no longer ourselves. We no longer belong to ourselves. We belong as one with you. Father God, help us to be speaking positive confessions and affirmations about ourselves and truths about ourselves. Help us to see ourselves in the way that you see us, Father. Give us that courage and the boldness to step into things that you're calling us to. Help us to rely on all the promises that you have showed us today, that you will protect us, that you will guide us, you will lead us, you will give us everything that we need. You will compensate us, Father. As we go and you will give us peace over everything. But stir in us, Father God, to become stronger and bolder Christians, sons and daughters in your name. And Father, today we just ask that you bless each and every family that's present here today, represented here today, represented online. Bring us favor, bring us prosperity, Father. And we just thank you that you continue to set that table for us, each and every one of us, in the presence of our enemies. Father, thank you for the boldness and the power and the authority to share the word as your child. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Amen. So you can go ahead and drop off your offering in the bucket on the way out and be blessed. Have a great and amazing blessed week, church. Be bold.